Cup of tea tails, school dinners, treacle sponge, Manchester tart, spotted dick, jam roly-poly, the origins of our hardening arteries. I believe that school dinners were first introduced into the UK in 1906, but not all local councils provided them. When I attended primary school in the late 1950s, Hales County Primary School certainly did. Free school milk was introduced in 1946 and gave every school child under the age of 18 a third of a pint of milk a day. Laws were passed in 1944 which required all councils to provide school meals, but this was obviously means-tested when I was at school as we had to bring our money in to pay for lunches and the teachers collected it at the start of the week. I seem to remember it being five shillings, but I could be mistaken. Some children were provided with free meals, and at the time there was little consideration of the feeling of such children, and when their names were read out, the teacher just said free and filled in the forms. I seem to remember that we were given tickets for the week, and the free tickets were a different colour. Mr Kelly, my class teacher in years three and four, would count up the money and do a reckoning, and then it was taken by a trusted pupil down to the office. You had to look after your own ticket as they had to be presented when you arrived for your meal, and you would be in trouble if you'd lost it. Not everyone had dinners. Some children went home each lunchtime and returned before the afternoon lessons started. Each class would have milk monitors, and their role was just before morning break to go down to the storage area where the milk crates were kept, collect the right amount for your class and then struggle with the full crates up the stairs to the classroom where we would each get a bottle, a paper straw, remove or pierce the foil tops and then drink the milk before going out to play. In winter the milk often froze and it was a treat as it seemed more like ice cream. It was certainly full fat milk and I loved the cream on the top. In summer the milk would begin to turn on a hot day but we still had to drink it. If children were away, then the extra milk would be available for the lucky ones chosen. We never took long to drink it, as we wanted to get outside to play. The milk monitors then had the role to take the empty crates back down to the storage area under the school. As an aside, the television programme Blue Peter ran annual collections of the foil bottle tops. I believe it was for Save the Children charity, and schools were involved. Large amounts of money were raised as the aluminium foil was recycled. This ran for several years. I've spoken about lunches at Hare Hills where we had to line up and walk down to St Aidan's Church and there was a hall underneath where the meals were served. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself. We had to line up, hand our tickets over, collect a plate and walk before the serving ladies. There was no choice apart from not having something and this probably explained why some children didn't have dinners. Children with religious requirements were not catered for, and no one that I knew had allergies or were vegetarians, so maybe they had their own sandwiches back at school. Depending on the dinner lady, you might avoid things that you didn't like, but often the swede, carrots, cabbage or Brussels sprouts were just slapped down on your plate in a large watery dollop. With the things that you did like, your plate would linger, hoping pity might be taken on you and extra added. This was particularly important on the puddings. 
Jam roly poly, spotted dick, chocolate sponge, Manchester tart and treacle sponge were my favourites, all with custard, occasionally pink or chocolate. But sago, semolina, rice puddings were my least favourite. I must admit, school dinners were fab, and I loved them. At Christmas, we had a special dinner. The dinner ladies would have paper hats, there would be a few streamers adorning the room, and turkey roast, potatoes, stuffing, and Brussels sprouts with the fare, covered in lashings of gravy. The pudding was Christmas pudding with white custard or sauce, and there were rumoured to be hidden sixpences in them. I think some children found them wrapped in silver foil, but certainly not many. It didn't take many years before the safety squad banned such frivolity as it was a choking hazard. I, for one, went through the pudding with forensic level scrutiny to check if I had a lucky find. But as in many things in life, I was to be disappointed. The ladies were quite crafty, and I fell for the parsnips disguised as chips trick. A large plateful was deposited with my encouragement, only to be horrified. The rules were simple. If you had it on your plate, then you had to eat it. Not my finest moment. Before anyone could eat, though, we had to wait for the say-so. We would all be sitting and the teacher in charge would say, Now we'll say grace. We would all then chant, For what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. Amen. There was then a flurry of cutlery being lifted and the scoffing began. Teachers would sometimes patrol and enforce manners and etiquette. Elbows off the table. Don't speak with your mouth full. Fork in your left hand, cut your food and don't stuff it in. When we'd finished and returned the cleared plates and crockery, we'd all sit up straight, ready to be dismissed. Dismissed meant being allowed to line up for the return frog marching back to school and the remainder of our lunchtime in the playground. My arrival at Roundy School in September 1966 saw a different approach to school dinners. Free milk was still provided and now there was less supervision. The routine of collecting the crates and full bottles and returning the empties was the same, but the teachers didn't care whether you drank it or not. The dining rooms at Roundy Boys' School were hidden behind a high wall that originally would have housed the vegetable and fruit gardens for the mansion. There were two tall pear trees, and in late summer they were covered in pears and surrounded by wasps when they began to rot. They were never harvested by anyone other than schoolboys, and we occasionally got some fabulously ripe fruit, but more often hard woody pears that were inedible. I seem to remember two buildings, and they were not big enough to accommodate the 800 pupils, and so there were three sittings. Tickets were bought on Monday morning, as they'd been at Hare Hills, and had to be provided when we entered the dining rooms. There were tables of eight, and unless there was a teacher at the head of the table, the best position was head, as you became the server. After lining up, there'd be a period of chaos as you scrambled to get on a table with your mates. If you were lucky, spare places weren't filled, and then everyone got an extra bit more. When the tables were full, we similarly had to enjoy the saying of the same grace, for what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. Looking back, I don't think any provision was made for the large Jewish population of the school, and I don't remember any different meals being provided. I have heard that other arrangements were made, but that many went home. 
When Grace was out of the way and I never really worked out who she was, a bit like why a green hill far away would ever have had a city wall or why good King Wenceslas looked out, the server would divide the meal for the table. More often than not, it was cheese pie, not a flan in those days. Salad and chips. If you were serving, it was amazing how so often the last piece, your own, was so much larger than the others. I guess that is one of life's mysteries. There was often no compulsion to eat, and unless you had an eagle-eyed supervising teacher, you could get away with eating very little. The noise in the rooms could be deafening, and finally too much for the supervising teachers. They would raise their voices above the din, and probably make an example of some poor lad before the room returned to its previous bedlam. It's a strange combination, but I got to really love chips and grated cheese, and I can feel the arteries constricting as I'm thinking about it. Cheese flan, grated cheese, tomato and chips. Heaven. Even worse, though, was the little delight that both Hare Hills and Roundy School provided. And that was Spam Fritters. Spam was about 99% saturated fat to start with, but then to coat it in a batter and deep fry it, it was the finishing touch. This gastronomic delicacy has only ever been surpassed by the deep-fried, battered Mars bars of Scottish fame. The Spam fritter oozed fat as it sat on the serving tray, dripped it as it was passed onto a plate and welled it out as it was cut into. It was a shocking thing, usually burnt, foul-tasting and best avoided. Having said this, teenage boys will eat anything, and I don't think any were ever left. Desserts were even nicer at Roundy than at Hare Hills, and sponge tarts with a thin layer of jam and coconut on the top were fantastic. Manchester tarts, similar, but with custard rather than sponge, were my favourites. But I don't think there was ever a bad dessert, apart from Sago, known as Frogspawn. We were growing, not fussy, and had insatiable appetites, but we were desperate to get out after lunch. We would sit there like statues waiting for the table to be chosen, ready to be dismissed. We would chastise any boy who was fidgeting or slow as we wanted to get out for wall ball, soccer or whatever activity we'd lined up for lunchtime. Lunch was an hour and 15 minutes, I seem to recall, which was a long time and allowed some great games to be played and mischief to be instigated and carried out. But I suppose it was necessary to allow the lunch sittings to be fitted in. In fairness, school dinners were a fabulous provision. No child would go hungry, and the meals were sometimes well-balanced and nutritious, or as much as could be expected at the time. Pizza never appeared on the menu, nor hot dogs, nor choice, and I think we reaped the benefit. Who could not say that they didn't smirk as the Jorilex glasses for water as a teenager? With access to free university and college education and grants, we were part of the lucky times when higher education wasn't just a matter of getting a job, was built on the philosophy that an education had value in its own right. An educated man or woman contributed to society in so many more ways than just the economy. I guess that is just one of the things we took for granted and as a result has been lost upon the way. I can still taste and smell the custard as I think about it. Fantastic. 
If you enjoy my tales, then you might be interested in knowing that there are two collections of them. The first, A Cup of Tea Tales, The Early Years, and the second, Another Cup of Tea, The Teenage Years. Both are available as paperback from Amazon and ebooks from Kindle.